Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. One of my favorite empowerment coaches is back on the show, Rob Mack. If you missed his first episode with us on the Primal Blueprint Podcast, that's episode number 237. And if you go to YouTube and type in Women's Empowerment Project and my name, a bunch of videos will come up. I did this free project a few years ago, and we did a video interview with Rob that was awesome. Rob is a happiness coach and author, and he has a very unique degree in positive psychology. He also is serving as a celebrity love coach for Famously Single on E! He's been a guest expert for many shows like the Today Show, Good Morning America, and he also is the host of Ever Talk Live with Jeslyn Moyer, another one of my favorite ladies in this world. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. I so appreciate that. What an awesome introduction. I wanted to have you back because, look, I, I wanna, I'm just going to throw a bunch of objections at you now because, you know, yeah, yeah, happiness author. Yeah, okay, you know, Happiness from the Inside Out is the name of your book. And we, you and I both know that in order to actually get the things we want, we have to feel the feelings of. But I would say this is the objection. Like, hey, man, I just came out of quarantine, bro. I'm on my, you know, parents' couch. I lost my job. <laughs> my career's gone. How, what the F, Rob? Like, how do, how can I be happy to get happy when I'm at ground zero? I'm, I'm in the ditch over here. What? <laughs> yes, and, and we've go. all been there, right? We've yes, and go. We've all been there, right? I mean, look, um, I wrote Happiness from the Inside Out, um, that book when I was coming off the heels of losing a job, losing two beautiful German cars, which I loved. I love cars. Um, I lost my apartment. I I mean, I really had nothing at that particular point in time. Thank goodness I had a family. Um, but you know, so I know what it's like to be there, no question about it. And that being said, is that you know look, you've got to take this ride called life anyway. So if you've got to take the ride anyway, you want to do your best to enjoy it. If you can enjoy it, at least accept it. Um, but anything less than that, anything less than acceptance really ultimately leads to you being less effective, efficient, creative, and productive as a thinker and as a problem solver. And so if at the end of the day, you want to solve your problem and you want to get out of this deep, dark ditch that life or the world, or we've dug for ourselves, the only practical thing to do is to actually find peace because peace lets you be a much better problem solver, a much better thinker, a much more efficient and efficient worker, and just a much better and easier to get along person. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it might take a little bit of effort or a lot of effort, but it's not like you have an alternative. Right. You're already, you're already at the, the shit end of the stick, right? You're at the bottom. Totally. Yeah. You're already yeah. at the bottom. It can only get good from here. What are some things, because listen, you know, this This is something we've never seen in our lifetime that just happened, and people are going to, they're in dire straits. So yeah. if they are in that situation where, you know, they've got, you know, a bunch of kids at home, they're not being able to pay their bills, they're having to go on unemployment, they're barely scraping by, what kind of tools do you have for someone to get to that point of peace or to generate a feeling that they had prior, maybe, right, at one point, but lost it because, again, life's circumstances. And again, you know, you and I know we're not victims of this, but how do you get someone out of that victim mentality? What are some tips and things that someone in that situation can think about to start to get on the right thinking, the right vibrational path? Yeah, totally. I love that. Well, a couple of thoughts. One is, you know, start with what's already working. So maybe some things are already working. Like if you've got a healthy body or if you've got friends, especially maybe professionals in your life, I would lean on those things that are working. I would make sure that I identify those things that were working and I would try to spend more time, energy, and effort just executing against the things that were working already. If I can still exercise, I'm going to still exercise. If I find that I'm uplifted by going for a walk or I'm uplifted by talking to a certain friend or colleague, I'm going to keep those things active in my life and I'm going to do my best to structure my day and schedule my day accordingly. So that's the first thing is to lean on what's working. The part of that is of course, leaning on the people that seem to be most helpful or supportive or uplifting or inspiring at times like this. Sometimes those people are in your life in real ways. Other times you've got to go online and do a little research, find those folks out there in the world that are producing or creating or sharing really positive uplifting content. That's also extremely helpful because if you lean on your own thoughts, you're going to find that 
you know, most of us haven't built the kind of resilience and coping skills to deal with this and navigate this and manage this like social distancing, quarantine thing, pandemic and economic fallout in the way that we could be sort of um, navigating it. And so if you're left to your own thoughts about it, you're going to find yourself spiraling pretty quickly, right? Even the best of us sometimes spiral. And so you want to begin to set up or create both a space and put people in place and things into place so that they can sort of catch you when you're having a downtime or a tough time. You know, part of that too is what I call happiness islands, which are just things like we talked about earlier, like things that you lean on that are working, but also things that maybe you haven't done in quite a while that you've noticed helps you to feel improved mood around things. And those are things ideally that require little, very little time, energy, or effort. So for me, of course, I like going to the gym. I don't love running, but I remember being 15 years old and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll start with baby steps, which brings us to the other thing is that I think a huge part of this is really just doing or taking the one action you can take now that might not necessarily seem like it's going to lead to anything later, but that helps you feel a little bit better now. And as you feel better, you'll find that you're doing better. You're thinking more clearly and you're able to, you know, just maintain and sustain some kind of life in the midst of all this. It's not going to be the same life you had before, but some kind of life that just keeps your head above water. And so that's a huge piece of this, I think, is not trying to see the whole staircase. You don't need to see the whole staircase. You just need to take action on the one thing, the one step that you can take action on. Um, so those are the first couple tips. I've got more than that, but I would say that's a great place to start. So I noticed, and I think no matter how much self-work and you know self-examination you've done like we are and even written books on it, there are moments where we can fall prey to dipping down into a lower vibration. For example, like when the pandemic stuff hit, mm. I, I I was like at the news and I was there too much, Rob. I was, you know, I was, I was like, damn, man. I, I mean, I, you know, I like know every newscaster's name. I know what time they're on television. You know, I was like, I, I got so roped into this shit, man. I was, and, and then, and then I, And here's what I realized. I started to realize that I was getting out of the fun and the magic and the things that we know about creating one's own reality and my future and simmering in this shiz that was seeping into my subconscious. And I literally, I had to cut myself off. I had to say, okay, I know what this is doing, whether I think it is or not, because I think I'm so strong, like I could not possibly be affected. I mean, that was probably the initial subconscious thought is like, well, whatever, it's not going to hurt me. (laughs) But I got to tell you, it hurt me, man. It was hurting me. And so I had to be like, okay, I'm just going to relegate myself to one show at the end of the day. I don't need to see a damn thing before then. Everything's going to change, but the new information is going to come out. The end of the day is going to have all the most recent stuff, or I'm just going to look at one, you know, website. Um, The reason I bring this up is, you know, you have this really unique master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. It's a very rare degree held by only a few dozen people in the world. And I know there's been lots of studies and things in your research while, while going through this program. I'm wondering, like, I just, my biggest message, right, to myself during this time that I just told you I had to give, or in general, because when I'm coaching people, let's say, not on empowerment, but on thyroid, well, I mean, I guess they're all the same thing. But you know, when I'm coaching someone on health and thyroid, you know, it's, it's very tough to be positive. And you know, they're going through like a health thing. But in general, I guess I would say is that I'm always telling people if you're going through a health issue, watch comedy. Stop it with the law and order every night watching murders and rapes and all of the negative things in life we know about. And even if it's something like The Sopranos, which, hey, amazing, amazing show. That's great. But sometimes when you're not in a good place, that stuff seeps in. I'm wondering, what have you found in your research about those, these outside influences? What can we, how can, please highlight this. Yeah. So this is such a great point. I love everything you're saying here, you know, so from a positive psychology perspective, we know that only about 10% of our happiness is dictated or determined by conditions and circumstances. That's your average person. So that's not your extraordinary person. That's not the person who's able to experience an unconditional or less conditional form of peace, love, and happiness. But your average person, 10%, even if things are perfect, your happiness is only really can be attributed to about 10% um, to conditions and circumstances. In other words, things outside of your control, so to speak. Right. So that means 90% is fully within your control. And those are the voluntary actions and things you do every single day. One of the greatest things you could ever do in your life is to begin to redefine what success is to you. And that doesn't mean that you don't want money. That doesn't mean you don't want a roof over your head. It doesn't mean you want to eat well. But what it does mean is that what is is the purpose and meaning, the whole end and aim of my life about? And if you can redefine success in authentically happy ways, 
in ways that support you in living a happy life, you'll find that you suddenly become much more sensitive to the way things feel, right? And so this is a critical part because lots of us try to monitor all our thoughts or we try to manage all our thoughts, but that can be exhausting. Instead, if you just notice how everything feels as you go about doing it, so as you're walking through the day, you notice that when you're watching Law & Order, maybe it seems kind of interesting when you're in the throes of it, but when you get done, you feel maybe empty, you feel dissatisfied, you maybe feel more paranoia, more stress, more anxiety, then you might really quickly want to dial back from the law and order, dial up on something like a comedy, like you said. But if you can become much more sensitive to the way you feel about everything, and that means often staying out of your head while you do everything, you'll be in touch with your own intuitive knowing around what will lead you to increasing happiness and increasing peace and even increasing success, as opposed to those things that are going to just cause you to spiral more and more. And so a huge piece of this, what this really has to do with is one, noticing how you feel as you do what you do. That means staying out of your head and being in touch with, you know, your body and being in touch with the inner body. More than that, it also means that as you bring this awareness, non-judgmental awareness into every situation, circumstance and activity and conversation, you can also begin, naturally you will, to emotionally regulate and to be cognitively agile. That means that when you notice pain or you feel yourself being more stressed out or anxious, you're at a choice point. You can either continue with the activity and the pain and the suffering will continue and grow, or you can make a different decision and focus on something else or do something else or talk to somebody else. And that is what we call cognitive agility when you make that decision. And before long, you notice that you're beginning to emotionally regulate much more consistently in a much more healthy and happy and harmonious way. And that's leading you to do things that are much more self-soothing. So ultimately, you become more deeply, lastingly, meaningfully, and abidingly peaceful. And from that much more peaceful place, you're much more clear-headed and clear-minded, and you're a much more, much better problem solver. Um, and you're just better all around as like a more enjoyable person to spend time with. And that means that any relationships that you continue to build you know, are going to lead to increasing opportunities instead of focusing on the problem the entire time or having a conversation where you have a defensive or reactive response to something somebody says. Instead of that, you'll be able to take a step back and breathe much more easily and continue to grow this relationship you have. So one of the things that science says, and that leads us to the next topic, which is like when we do these things, okay, we get along with other people more easily. They get along with us more easily. And that improves our relationships. We do know from the field of of, um, positive psychology that probably one of the best and greatest ways to boost your happiness and therefore your success, like your ultimate success, is to actually you know, lean into and nourish and feed the relationships in your life. And when we face adversity and challenges, we know that what adversity does, amongst many other things that we can find a little frustrating or challenging, is that it weeds out weak relationships and it strengthens strong ones, right? And so you want to do your part to sort of be aware of that and acknowledge that, but you also want to do what you can to nourish the positive relationships in your life. And so all those things kind of work together seamlessly in a way that helps you to kind of navigate an otherwise very adverse and challenging and maybe even upsetting experience like what we're all going through right now. Yeah, and that, that kind of leans me right into the topic of during this time, I've heard from various people or whether I saw it online or heard from a friend, listen, people are reevaluating their lives right there, whether it's the fear of dying, right? Or, you know, it could be, right. It could be that. So it's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to die. And then like, I, you know, my mother's, she's got COVID and I never told her I love. Okay. So there's those moments of like that. And then there's also, I'm quarantined with this (laughs) a-hole, right? Right. Like, like, uh, I had someone say to me, they're like, it's really making you think about who you want to spend time with. Right. So I think that, you know, again, and I know you believe this too, these moments are great moments for kind of freshening up, or I call scraping the barnacles off the button. Just what do you want? Let's get clear because life is short. Right. Um, like, for example, I, uh, I live alone, and so, and I don't have a dog or anything. Which, oh God, I wish that I was dying for that. I'm <laughs> dying for that drink. And I was like, you know, and I was like out for a walk, and you know, you can't touch other people's dogs because it's sure. weird, you know. So I'm like, damn, and I'm not getting any snuggles. I'm doing, I'm, I'm walking with a friend, and we're doing like a toe tap just to get some human. I'm not kidding. Like that's really happening on my daily walks with my friend Daniel. We're like toe tap. We're doing a couple toes. We're and 
And I'm just like, I miss, you don't re- I didn't realize how much I miss just a quick hug when I meet my friend for a hike, right? The things that are important and valuable, these connections we have. Okay, so long way around, but getting to, okay, we've realized there's some people in our life that are not good. And on that same note, if we're going through a tough time, we just got fired. The last thing we need is calls from toxic friends or people that we know in our life. So I guess this is going to be like a multi-parter, of course, and you can answer it in various (laughs) ways. But I'd love you to share some moments in your past life or or any time where you had to distance and make a decision to distance yourself from that energy because of something you were going through and you didn't need that that feedback or the just the energy. And then, you know, also, uh, let's talk about that first. And then we'll get into like, redefining your life after something like this happens where maybe you do need to look for a new career, like finding your purpose. So let's first talk about dealing with toxic people. So great question. So two things I'll say right off the top. Number one, if you are in a relationship or a friendship, it could be professional, personal, um, the happier person, the happiest person never pulls the less happy or the least happy person up. That doesn't happen. We all think that's going to happen. We all think we're strong enough to do that. That doesn't happen. The least happy person, the unhappiest person, brings the happiest person down. Okay. So that's knowing that's a great that, <laughs> distinction. Can you repeat that? That's really Yes. Nice. Yeah. So the happiest person is not able to, no matter how happy or strong they are, they're not able to pull the least happy person up in terms of like their subjective well being, in terms of their mood. Okay. Generally, what happens is the unhappiest person, the heaviest emotionally, the emotionally heaviest person pulls. The, mo- the happiest person down in terms of mood. Okay, it's very difficult. Uh, it's not impossible for an extraordinarily happy person to bring that other less happy person up. And so, what that means is that for the most part, if you find that you're in a relationship or a friendship with someone who is much less happy than happy than you, and you are trying to love them or be happy enough to bring them up, you are probably doing yourself and even them a disservice because you are literally training them to be dependent on you for their happiness instead of leading them and coaching them and guiding them back to the source of happiness within themselves. Mm. So it's like the greatest disservice you can probably do for yourself and them. That doesn't mean not to love them. And it doesn't certainly mean to let your light be dimmed or your happiness be diluted in any way. But it does mean to stop attaching what the other person is thinking, saying, or doing to your happiness. Be happy regardless. And so that's the first thing I'll say. The second thing is this, is that, um, you know, I think it was Rumi that said love is really protecting the solitude of the other, um, of each other, right? And so whether you're quarantined in a tiny little studio apartment or in a huge house, you still both each need to have your little space where, and that space is not just physical, but psychological, emotional, and even spiritual space so that you can live your own lives out and conduct and hold sort of your own energy and and space for yourself, right? And so you want to also, just because you're in the same house in the same place, or apartment together doesn't mean that you should be spending most of your day together, like up in each other's energy. That's just too much. Right. And so that's the second piece. The third piece is this, is that even if you find, and especially when you find that you can't, maybe let's say right now, because of the extenuating circumstances, you know, you can't move out, find your own place. You can't get divorced, whatever. Um, you can't find new roommates, whatever. Just because you find yourself in that person's energy or space, or they're in yours, doesn't mean that you can't experience solitude within yourself, right? Like, so solitude within yourself essentially means just because you're in the same space as someone, you don't need to have your mind busy thinking and worrying and plotting and planning the entire time. You can spend lots of that time, even in somebody's presence, even if they're doing a lot of talking, you can spend that in a place of perfect, thoughtless, wordless peace if you practice enough. Now, it's hard to practice, like, you know, in the middle of, drama in the middle of chaos and conflict. But that's essentially what the practice of mindfulness is or the practice of meditation is. It's learning to create a space within yourself where you can always take refuge so that you can feel at peace and you can feel happiness and you can feel love despite what the other person is thinking, saying, or doing. Um, I do remember a time though, I will say back to the sort of other part of your question, like, and I won't say who, of course, but I remember literally coming to this. <laughs> we're doing blast. Yeah. I'm out on <laughs> exactly. They're like, what the heck, Rob? So <laughs> I remember, you know, literally having a conversation and getting to a place, you know, this, I essentially have a couple of like, I don't know, deal breakers in my life. It's like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym 
That's me. I'm not asking anybody else to go to the gym, but, and I'm going to read my books. Like, you know, and I used to always joke and say, those are my don't kill myself books. And I've <laughs> been in relationships where women don't like that. They sometimes feel, um, and it's not about women. It could be, it could have been men, but I just happened to be a straight guy. So, um, you know, they didn't particularly love that. They felt like I was reading a lot <laughs> or whatever. And, um, I remember literally coming to a place where I said, my purpose is more important than you. And, and I met, and, and I thought about that for a second. I was like, Whoa, that was kind of strong. Rob. Right, that like, sounds harsh, but it sounds really harsh. And then, and then I, and then I remember saying, well, my purpose is my happiness and my happiness is my gift to you. Your purpose is your happiness and your happiness is your gift to me and the world. That's all of our inner purpose. We all share that same inner purpose ultimately, which is to be happy, whether it's whether you think you're going to be a writer and it's through your writing, whether you think you're going to be successful and it's through your success or you're going to be famous and it's through your fame. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we all just want to feel good. That's what this whole life thing is about to a large extent is we're doing everything we possibly can to stave off the bad feelings and to invite or welcome the good feelings. Okay. And that's what this life is. And so the purpose that we all share is finding or experiencing as much happiness and peace and love within ourselves as humanly possible. And so knowing that, I would say that we all, having shared that purpose, want to do everything humanly possible to make that as great an experience and as likely an experience as we can. Um, often that means loving people from a distance, but if you can't necessarily love them from a distance because you're trapped with them <laughs> in a studio apartment or something like that, you've got to find other ways to create distance or space within your relationship so that you can survive this quarantine and that you can also survive the relationship. You know, it's interesting what you said about the books. Cause you know, right away in that scenario, I just had the immediate thought of like them taking your personal getaway there with the book personally, right? You nailed it. Like just taking it so personally. And I would, uh, just based on that, I would venture to say that this person probably had issues with codependency because that's kind of a thing, right? Like, why aren't you spending time? Like, you know, they take things personally if you're not spending time with me, et cetera. And I just like that you brought that up because one of the ways you can really tell you're with the right person, friend, et cetera, is the ability to be silent and enjoying each other's whatever, to reading books out on a patio quiet or just taking a walk and having silent moments, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so the comfortability too, that you had to say, I'm just going to go read over here. You know, like you're not, yeah. you're not abandoning anyone, but that can feel like an abandon to a lot of people. So let's get into that a little bit, but it's just really great. You brought that up. Oh, Elle. And, um, how many ways do I love you? <laughs> I mean, truly, you just nailed it. And that's, uh, you know, that, and that, I think there's a lot to be, there's so much to be said there. And yet, um, I think it's all pretty crystal clear for most of us. Um, and that's the right reason you and I, I think, um, I've always gotten along so well and connected so easily, um, because we allowed there to be space, um, in our experience of each other. And that's just critical. Like, so you nailed it in terms of the codependence. That's exactly what's going on. And, and that codependence works both ways, right? right? So there's part of it where maybe the other person is depending on you because they need maybe to be entertained or they feel lonely in your presence if you're not giving them all your attention. Uh, but there's also the part of you that feels like, in my case, maybe that you have to dive in and save people and that part of your purpose is wrapped up in saving people. And so it's a codependent relationship because you're dependent on each other and you're fighting with each other, but you're ultimately holding each other hostage. Um, and so, you know, we all want to do what we can to realize and recognize that what we're seeking in the other only exists within us. Well, what I also love about the fact that you love reading books and I mean, not just for the seeking of knowledge sake, but in that scenario you described, I love that you were just comfortable to be like, I'm going to go enjoy my own company over here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Totally. Like and that's the name that of the game, right? That's, that's the point. And that's even what I argue in confident as fuck really in general is you, you, you get to the <laughs> okay. point where you enjoy your own company. You like who you are in this world, wherever you go, that you can do that. And there's nothing awkward or weird about that, hopefully with the other person or even in yourself. Uh, dropping bombs. Like so good. Yes. That's, I mean, look, if you can't enjoy your own company, how can you expect anyone else to? Like that's crazy talk. That's like I can enjoy my own company, but I want you to. Like if you can't enjoy your aloneness. How can you ever enjoy togetherness? It's, you know, it's, it's just, it doesn't work. And so if you want to be happy together, you've got to practice and know how to be happy alone. 
And if you can't be happy alone, you're going to do nothing but create more and more problems for the other person because that misery shared is misery multiplied. It doesn't, you know, it's not like misery shared is misery divided. It's multiplied. So all you do is increase your problems. And so lots of folks are experiencing that now. And whereas before, you know, one week in a relationship, maybe it was one week, we're like now all under the magnifying glass, all stuck in the same place. And that one week feels like six months. (laughs) So, you know, people are getting like the accelerated course in relationships right now. um, And hopefully we'll all come out better for it, which is an interesting, I'll just drop real quick, which is that most of us, when we experience adversity and challenges, whether they're personal ones or professional ones or global ones, we mostly experience what's called post-traumatic growth. Most of us are very familiar with post-traumatic stress, but most of us come out better as a result of these experiences. The more awareness you can have as you're going through it, the more post-traumatic growth you'll experience in the end. But even if you don't, even if you were completely unconscious through most of the experience, most of us come out better and we grow psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, sometimes even physically as a result of very hard times. You know, it's funny because when this this whole thing hit and it was like, oh, everyone's going to you know, look like everyone was going to be inside. My, <laughs> my, my first thought was I was like, oh, all you FOMO mofos out there have you're going to have to learn to enjoy your company without the FOMO thing disappeared because no one else is doing nothing. So there's nothing uh, to fear missing out on. And I think that if you are a person that has FOMO, that is a little bit to what we're talking about right here. You might need to look at ways where are you? Because um, a lot of people with FOMO, again, gather a lot of that internal love or feeling of self-worth through being with other people. We all do. It's primal nature. We have to have it to some degree. But you know what I'm talking about? And so I feel like I immediately was like, oh, I think this is a great thing. I'm hoping people are going to enjoy that, enjoy reading a book, hanging out with themselves, or or they've now had to get used to it. There's some people that are like, I didn't really, I just realized I'm, I really enjoy my own company. I'm like, I'm glad that that came out of this. So I'd love you to speak to that because the FOMO thing is something I just, I, I personally, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting, um, Al, you know, conversations with you are always so enlightening. I, I, um, I love being alone. I grew up in a situation in a kind of, um, tumultuous sort of uh, family experience, just stress and anxiety. And so I like being alone because it meant that I had peace. <laughs> so I grew to, you know, like that. And to this day, I'd say that practically nothing can compete with my, the enjoyment I get from being alone. Um, and of course, lots of us struggle a lot with that, right? Particularly those of us who might be more extroverted in that way. At the end of the day, you know, there's a gr- sort of drastic difference between aloneness and loneliness. You can be alone, but not lonely. You can be in a crowd that still feel lonely, yep. right? So like there's a difference. And really, if we were to simplify it, it's just loneliness is lonely thoughts. It's all it is. Okay. And that's true also of happiness. Happiness is just lo- uh, unhappy thoughts and you know, frustration is just frustrated thoughts. And so it just ultimately comes down to the ability to self-soothe, be cognitively agile, to be on that, to be able to simply stop thinking or thinking less um, when you desire to think less. And so um, the FOMO thing is interesting because, again, it's just focusing on what you don't have. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on what you don't have, you're going to feel the effects of what you don't have. And that emotion, and we call that emotion FOMO or whatever. But you can just as easily, with a little practice, Focus on all that you do have. And I think those of us who don't experience the FOMO, that experience the JOMO, the joy of missing out, (laughs) right, is that we all focus on the things that we do have, that we do enjoy. And I focus on, oh, my gosh, how much peace I have right now. There's nobody, like, yammering in my ear. And there's nobody, like, vying for my attention. And I can do anything I want with my day. And how great is it to be single? I get to have the whole bed. Like, you know, it's like, it's amazing. Nobody's complaining about me going for a run again or whatever. And so... It's like I focus on all these beautiful gifts that show up in seamless ways when I'm just spending time alone. And so if you're, you sort of struggle with FOMO um, in your life, you want to do what you can to sort of turn that around and begin to look at the ways in which your life is improved or in some ways better off when you're alone, when you're single, when you're doing your own thing and you're not at the big party or you're not at Coachella or whatever. Like how is your life not just as good? But maybe in lots of ways, even better, like no hangovers, like, you know, there's lots of reasons <laughs> to be happy about that. But it does take some practice. And, and you know, um, with practice, you get better and better. And at some point, it becomes automatic. It's about 66 days of practicing a certain way of thinking or being um, until you eventually make it automatic. So it becomes second nature. 
So let's talk about finding one's purpose because there's a lot of people in this time who either like, because they're home, they're like, you know what? I realized like, maybe I don't want that second job still, or you know what? I don't want to go back to that career. Like maybe it's time to really do what I want. Right. So this is bringing up a lot of change ideas in people's lives. And I think a lot of that, like purpose too, because of this sort of like underlying, you know, sort of fear of death and, you know, short lived. So what are some ways that someone can ask themselves certain questions or think about figuring out what it is that they truly love? Ah, so beautiful. Um, so it's, I think a purpose in two ways. There's inner purpose. We all share that. I call it happiness. We can just as easily call it peace or love. Um, but we all share the same inner purpose. Okay. We're ultimately after an experience that we call contentment, happiness, fulfillment. Okay. Now it, that inner purpose manifests itself in different ways, depending on who you are and where you are in your life and the unique skill sets that maybe, or gifts or talents that you've been sort of born with or that you've cultivated over the years. The outer purpose will always change. If you prioritize your outer purpose, meaning your career or professional pursuit over your inner purpose, you may very well accomplish your outer purpose, but you will not necessarily be happy. In fact, unless you've prioritized your inner purpose first, unless you've made happiness your top priority and goal, succeeding with or fulfilling your outer purpose is not going to make you happy. The only way to be happy is to prioritize inner happiness and then let that unfold in increasingly organic ways in your professional life, in your career. But if you're leaning into your career, professional life, and thinking that you're going to find happiness through that or by that, you're like, going to be, be sorely disappointed. I'll be happy when I publish that book, or I'll be yeah. happy when I yeah. yeah when I get that job. It, and it, it, because you know, the, it's just the world makes a promise it cannot keep. It, the, the promise is I will make you happy, right? Things and other people. We all do this to each other unwittingly, unknowingly, unintentionally, but we make the promise that we will make you happy. But that promise cannot be kept, be kept by any object or thing or other person or the world or career. Only you can keep that promise to yourself. And when you make that promise to yourself and keep that promise to yourself, it's mind-blowing the ways in which like life begins or seems to cooperate with you. It begins to collaborate with you. And suddenly, the opportunities that before seemed impossible or the clarity that you sought before you couldn't find, now everything's clear. It's like, oh, I'm just going to do this one little thing and we'll see where it goes. And you're doing it not to get the result. You're doing it because you're already full of happiness and it can maybe enhance your happiness or it allows you to express that happiness. But your happiness isn't dependent on it. It's just for the joy of the process, the joy of the journey or the ride alone. All of a sudden, then you meet somebody randomly who happens to know a producer. Or all of a sudden, you drop that resume three months ago, you've forgotten about it, and now you get the phone call. But that is when we talk about law of attraction, we talk about all these other principles that sometimes seem a little woo-woo, at the end of the day, a lot of them are actually supported by real empirical data and science, right? We know that people who are happy first or happier without the partner or happier without the job tend to get the job more often, tend to get the partner more often. We know that. We know that happy people experience the best of life and they're more successful. They make $700,000 more on average over the course of their entire lifetime. They get married earlier, stay married longer. They're married. They're happier in all the relationships, whether they're married or not. They're healthier, experience less job uh, burnout, better job performance ratings. So you really got to, you know, most of us put the cart before the horse, but we need to put the horse before the cart. We've got to put happiness first and trust and know that our outer purpose will unfold more easily and effortlessly and enjoyably if we don't depend on it to make us happy. Mm. Beautiful. Um, on the note of this with quarantine, I want to get into like dating, romantic relationships. So, you know, on the one hand, I think right now there's a lot of people who live alone who are like, well, I'm glad I'm alone because a lot of married couples are like, oh my God, if I could just, <laughs> right, right, like you hear that side of it. And then, and then the other side of it too is being alone and going, wow, at least these people have a husband or kids or, right, then we're seeking that. So let's talk about, and again, obviously there's caveats to like dating's a little bit weird right now, right? You know, going on a, nothing's open to go on a date on at this point. It's going to be a social distance walk maybe. Um, but, but as things open up and people get more comfortable with actually like dating and going out, that kind of thing, um, you know, you are, this is something you talk about a lot and you coach on and, you know, you have got the, the show as well. 
what give us give us some give us some stories give us some stories yeah. about about this about you know being clear or finding what you want or some mishaps things that people need to think about uh when they're deciding that they really want to go forward into the dating world yeah such a uh, beautiful question you know it's interesting so one of the episodes we did a famously single i think it may have actually been called love is blind and there's a show now called love is blind but it was just one episode and the idea was that all of the folks participants on the show reality stars they were all blindfolded and uh myself and the therapist and the other dating coach you know we had basically um set them up on blind dates okay <laughs> so neither of them could see each other and it's interesting the ways in which their dating experience was informed or colored by their not being able to see the other person right that they had to connect on a different level on a deeper level and weren't in any way blinded by the physical beauty or appearance of the other person right and so we're experiencing a little of this now um, I'd say that, you know, a lot of my like uh, clients, so the one thing I've noticed, a uh, huge uptick in terms of couples and kids right now at the corner. I think they're the ones who are experiencing the most, you know, struggling the most with it, single people too. But I think um, the pain and the suffering is more intense, I think, um, and also almost more um, noticeable with the couples. And so one of the things I'm noticing a lot is, you know, first of all, I think you've seen lots of domestic abuse, you know, the best abuse has been increasing domestic violence, which is very disturbing. Um, in terms of the dating experience, you know, I've noticed that, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, both single people and, um, you know, even folks in relationships that maybe are separated by the quarantine are doing is they're doing like virtual dates, yeah. right? So like going online and they're doing the Zoom call and they're each cooking dinner and they're cooking whatever they want. They're having a glass of wine and one person goes off to take a shower. The other person just sits there and finishes eating or whatever, but it gives them a sense of, in some ways, it's a much more um, sort of comfortable, home-like experience. Um, and uh, lots of people are enjoying that. Lots of people aren't enjoying that too. But I'd say that there are opportunities now that exist for sort of like going beyond what you might consider traditional dating and maybe getting to know people at a, in a different way or at a deeper level um, because I you're like not... so much. Because yeah. it's about getting to know the person. It goes back to the blindfolding. You're bound to ask more fruitful questions in that environment than, you know, if you're across someone that's just like your whole body's sizzling from you know, like <laughs> attraction, attraction or repelling. You're, you then may not ask them certain things because you're like, I just can't wait for this thing to be over. So I, I love that. And I do think that the Zoom dates, I know someone who was, you know, had like a four hours every night with a girl who was just 20 miles away, but because of the quarantine and they had just met, so that's how, and he was saying how it was just so much more comfortable when they did meet in person, you know what I mean? Because they got to know each other more, um, which I always recommend anyway. I am never a fan of like just texting back and forth, like, yeah, let's meet for a drink. Like, no, have a conversation first because like, do you even want, like, you'll be able to tell a lot on whether or not you even want to go out and that's the more meaningful thing and it's usually like and not a quick conversation like hey what's up i'm in the car on the way home want to meet tomorrow but like hey if you have time so i always say to people if you know if i'm dating like hey if you have time for a phone conversation sometime i'd prefer that over texting then you have a conversation with them and it sets a better stage for meeting them in person but i like i like that i don't like that corona happened but i'm just saying i like the fact that that's that's panned out, like you said. I think there's so many positives. I completely agree. I mean, I completely agree. It's um, it's it's again, it's interesting, you know. And kind of, if you don't look for the silver linings, then you will often miss them, right? And like, that's a huge one. The one you just mentioned is huge. I mean, how many of us have gotten into relationships in the past, whether they're romantic ones or just platonic ones, and you were, you know, thrown off by all the things you missed in the beginning because you weren't focused on things that truly mattered, right? You focus yeah. on everything, but maybe it was all about partying. It was all about drinking. Maybe it was all about hooking up. Maybe it was just about the fact that you're both beautiful or you both happen to be in the same business and you missed the deeper things that are much more important to a long lasting and, and deep relationship. And so you're getting a chance to like sort of sift and sort through all of that and not be blinded in the ways that we often are by lust um, or by anything else. And so, um, yeah, I love you saying that else profound. Let's talk about money. Everyone always yeah. wants to talk about money. Um, I forgot uh, who out of the crew of you guys that I know, <laughs> I forgot who brought this example up. You might have too. And I'm not sure if it was your client or if you had heard of one. Um, the story about the person who had witnessed someone getting murdered for money. Oh, I don't know about that one. Okay. Then that was, that was someone else. 
Um, I was just thinking back into like how people have associations with money. I want to talk about money because right now, especially with all of the unemployment going on and people being fearful or having gone into debt on this quarantine and then now being like, great, I was fine before this started. Now my 401k is gone or my stock. So oof, how, how yeah, do we start to generate good money feelings when, man, it's looking grim? Yeah. So I think this is a great challenge and a great opportunity to, again, redefine what true wealth and true success ultimately is. Most of us have defined it very narrowly, unfortunately, and we define it as money. Okay, And, and I get that because money can buy lots of things. Lots of, In fact, most things in life can be purchased except for the things that truly, truly, deeply matter. The things that matter most, just a few of them, can't be purchased. But so many other things can. And so it makes sense why people put so much time, energy, and attention on money. But it narrows your experience of life and it makes it a much more shallow experience of life. If instead you can broaden your definition of true wealth in terms of abundance, in what ways am I abundant? Because abundance is a much better, healthier, more holistic definition, sort of description of true wealth. And so there are ways in which you are abundant now. There are things and capabilities and skill sets and mindsets and talents and gifts and resources that you have now that are priceless, that transcend, that go beyond any dollar amount, that you wouldn't sell for any dollar amount. I would, I would sell my books maybe, but I would never sell my creative faculties for any sum of money. No, no. I would, <laughs> yeah, right? my frontal I, lobe? Yeah, no, I'm not yeah, selling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? I mean, would you, would you sell your health? You know, would you sell your friends or family? Maybe that one friend. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but, yeah, a couple. <laughs> you're a couple, okay, but like most of them, no. You know, would you, would you sell, you know, your ability to pivot in a more positive direction when you're having an unhappy day or would you, none of these things would you sell. And they're, they're honestly worth, I mean, they're priceless, they're invaluable. And so first of all, that's the first piece is realizing and recognizing that the world can't give you wealth and it can't take away your wealth. It might take away your money, but you don't have to be poor. You might be broke, but you don't need to be poor, right? You might not have any money, but you don't have to let that compromise or diminish your experience of being truly, deeply, inwardly wealthy, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is this, is that I think the one thing I feel a lot of, and I get it, and, you know, it's my own personal perspective, but, like, you know, I think coaches and helping professionals, especially right now, we're all struggling in terms of knowing how to best approach or address, like, selling things, right? It's like, well, do I, okay, I'd love to, I want to help and benefit the world, but you know, my time is worth something and I'd also like to continue to have a roof over my head. And, you know, and, um, so what do I do about that? Do I just give it away for free or this or that? And, you know, I think everybody's going to find a different place to land on that. Uh, and the truth is, is that at all points in time, there's not more, there's not less money on the planet. The same amount of dollars are there, but you know, just the question of where are they? And since they're not circulating that, you know, it, the currency works like money works kind of like a fan. It's like, it only really works if it's circulating kind of experience, right? But there are lots of people with lots of money and you have something of value to offer. There are people out there that are interested and willing and excited to purchase it. Um, that being said, you just want to be sensitive to sort of where people are. And so, um, you know, I just find it interesting the ways in which we're all having this knee-jerk reaction around the money thing. And it makes total sense because how many people are losing, millions of people losing jobs and getting pay cuts and People are afraid of going homeless and all these things, which make so much sense. But you're always going to be able to navigate everything in your life better if you can take a step back, disidentify from the problem itself, put the problem aside, and just tap into that place where you feel a little more peaceful, where you feel a little bit more calm, when you're where you're sort of clear that you've been in terrible situations before, that somehow, some way, even with your worst thinking, you've su survived to get you to where we are today. And so that resilience is built into your DNA. That resilience is built into who you are. And it's going to see you through this experience and every other experience. That's what it does. That's what it's there for. And so, um, but I do think above all else, it's time to redefine success and true wealth and abundance in ways that support you so that you can experience unconditional abundance. Not, not abundance that's taken and given by the world. Not, I mean, anything that can be given and taken for me, isn't something that's truly real anyway. It's like death's going to strip all this stuff away from us anyway. So there's something deeper than that that's much more useful than that that will allow you to grow more money even if everybody or if the whole world took all your money away. 
that's what you want to tap into. You want to tap into the source of wealth and true abundance, not the channel. So that's part of the, I think, the challenge and opportunity for all of us is to realize and recognize that there's something within you that is you, but also much greater than you that you can tap into at any point in time in order to survive or better than that, thrive any experience, condition, or circumstance. Mm. I really like the idea of sitting there and going, all right, what in my life could I just not sell? And I love that you mentioned like mindset and or an ability to pivot or, or you know what, I'm a great leader or I'm a diplomatic, wh- whatever it is. I love that because that immediately goes into pretty much boosting your own self-esteem and confidence because you're essentially going to be picking things that you like about yourself. <laughs> yes, that's right. Al. That's right. That's the beauty of talking to you. That's exactly right. And that's the entire point. The entire point is to stop outsourcing mm-hmm. peace, love, happiness, and success and wealth to the world or to other people or to other things. Like that's ridiculous. You know, I've been obsessed with, of course, my whole life, Michael Jordan, right? And oh, yeah. Oh, no, from downtown Chicago. You can't even don't. I can't. Even, I yes, can't even. I, I can't even get started. I love. Yeah. <laughs> boom. There you go. The best right? basketball player of all time, hands down. Don't even care about stats. <laughs> You've given me shivers. I knew we were soulmates. I knew it. I knew that we were couple. I knew it. Wait, like, and I have a yes. tidbit. So the school, the public high school that I went to in Chicago, there's a famous photo of Michael Jordan, and everyone knows it. It's him standing behind, like in a in a, in a gym, and he's got his arms spread out wide, both to his side, like perpendicular, like a T, and he's got two. He's holding. He's gripping two basketballs, like a basketball in each hand. And he's just standing there. It's a very famous photo of him. And they took that at my high school gym. And we were just like, uh, so I had that poster. Okay. That was your high school. That's my high school gym right there. Yeah. Oh, and I think the reason they, I don't know why they, well, and here's the funny side note too. My gym teacher was an ex Cleveland Cavalier. Like my gym teacher was like a six foot nine dude who was having none of it from all of us. This guy was hysterical. But um, I think he got, he got to meet Jordan that day. It was a highlight for him too. And I'm sure they got to talk some shop about back in the day and whatever, you know? Uh, But yeah. So anyway, sorry, I just had to throw that out there. You can tell I just lit up, like just mentioned Michael Jordan. I just light up. That'll change my whole day. (laughs) Uh, You just, and by, can I tell you by the way, and this goes back, um, to this emotional contagion thing. Like you're getting lit up by that makes me feel even more lit up by it. By, by the way, if there is talk about currency and also talk about contagious things, emotion is more contagious and more infectious than anything else on the entire planet. Yeah. And if you really want to influence people and you're wanting to create more opportunities, you want to do what you can to regulate your emotion. Um, and by that, I mean kind of hold yourself sort of accountable for increasing your ability to feel and experience the best of emotions, experience them all, experience them all without judgment. But the point and the purpose is ultimately so that you can experience more of the good feeling emotions, right? Um, But in any case, what you just said is profound because Michael Jordan, talk about, I mean, a guy who embodied, who was was able to take everything that's ever happened to him his entire life, both good and bad, and channel it into one clear, focused purpose I mean, it's unbelievable what the guy was able to accomplish. And he's a person who deep down inside, and you can tell that he genuinely, truly believes in himself. He believes in himself so much that, you know, he created an entire career that just kept getting better and better and better. Even went out to baseball. He had experience there. He probably wouldn't call a success in traditional terms, but he came out of it better for it. And so I don't know. I just think there's something to what you're saying here, Elle, which is ultimately like this is all about building resilience. This is all about coming, becoming stronger. You only get stronger by falling down and getting back up, but you do have to get back up. You don't have to get back up fast. You don't have to rush to get back up and you will ultimately get back up because getting up feels so much better than being down. So we're just practicing that all the time. And part of that, you don't do that necessarily through always beating yourself and berating yourself, but instead looking for the best in yourself and looking for the resources within yourself and doing what you can to be your best friend or your best teammate by supporting yourself cognitively and emotionally. Well, now I guess we started on Michael Jordan, so I'm going to have to continue right? for a second. So, Michael, so I have a quote from him in my book, because essentially it's one of those law of attraction type of quotes where it's like, first you have to see yourself as winner, you know, as successful before you are, right? You have to see yourself as the best totally. before you become it. But then let's talk about Phil Jackson, right? Mm. Their coach. And I got that right, right? I'm not 
Yes, yeah. you did. <clears throat> so Phil Jackson, right? I mean, if people don't know this, he was like ahead of his time in terms of it wasn't just coaching. He instilled a certain mindset in them. He would have them do like meditations, imagining themselves already That's winning, right. to, imagining themselves already in the outcome and the end result before it was even there, believing the thing before they could see it so that they would see it. And that was so like hippy dippy weird, right? <laughs> At the time yeah. when in hindsight, when it came out, and we're like, what? He did that? But it was like mental rehearsal, you know? And uh, so anyway, I just had to, th- I just, yeah, that just. Oh, sucked. love. Yeah. I mean, look, you're just crushing it because, you know, um, what you just all said was true. And I didn't, when I was younger, I can appreciate a little bit of that. I remember reading The Jordan Rules by C.O. Smith, who's actually in this Last Dance documentary. And, you know, a lot of this was recounted there. And, uh, you know, he spoke pretty eloquently about Phil Jackson's coaching techniques and philosophy. And you're absolutely right. He integrated Zen Buddhism and Native American tradition and like visualization and all of these things. And he would actually assign books to each player to read that were catered specifically to that individual, but the individual didn't necessarily know exactly why until they read the book. And even sometimes then they didn't know. So we'd have follow-up conversations about the book and say, how did you enjoy that book? The whole time, Phil Jackson is this mastermind about how to get the best out of players. That's why a player like Dennis Rodman, who was with the Detroit Pistons, who they hated. Hated. <laughs> well, we hated him. Day, I hate him. I still hate right? him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hate him. To this day, Michael Jordan hates Isaiah Thomas. And like, <laughs> it, it, I mean, he says it, right? Like multiple times. And it's like interesting. They had this guy, Dennis Rodman, join the team. And he fits in beautifully with this team. And Michael and Scotty and Phil, they, they, they just love Dennis. He, and he loves them. Why? Because they're able to honor the space and let him be him. And, they, and he lets them be them. And it's just, and he's able to see the best in them. And that's a huge other piece of this, which is this. And you're extremely, like tremendous, you're so good at this, Al. And we're all aspiring to be better at this. Like if you want to have a happy relationship of any kind, you want to have a successful relationship of any kind, there's no other alternative but to see the best in the other person as often as humanly possible and to do it because it feels good to you, knowing all the while that over time, you're much more likely to elicit those character traits or personality traits out of that person from that person, right? So in psychology, we call it the Pygmalion effect. But basically, they labeled randomly students as star students. They only told the teachers. They didn't tell the students, didn't tell the parents. And these teachers believed certain kids were star students when really they were all just average students. And because the teachers continued to believe and see within those students that they were stars, they later had better SAT scores. They ended up making more money. They actually ended up performing better over the course of their life just because they were seeing with this star-like quality. Meaning because they were treated, the teachers were favoring certain kinds of treatment or encouragement towards those, quote, stars? Exactly. So right. for instance, you know, when you've been in class and you've had a great professor, I've done this a bunch of times. I've been in class, the professor's way smarter than me, like a brilliant, like genius. And he's teaching something. And then I ask a question. And then as soon as the words come out of my mouth, I'm like, that was the stupidest question I could have ever asked. Why did I open my stupid mouth, right? And, and the <laughs> teacher, being the genius that he is, or she is, she says to you, oh, my goodness, Al, Rob, that's a profound question. Mm-hmm. I've never cared. And then all of a sudden, they, they're off and running with some brand new concept that you probably also don't understand. But they just saw genius in you, whether it was in there or not, and they helped to bring it out. So that's precisely what this Pygmalion study effect has shown. And you know what? Bring- I want to piggyback on that and highlight I was talking in a – I was doing a webinar Q&A thing, and someone asked the question about how can we help kids become more confident And there's a little nuance that I talk about in my book where, I mean, obviously you do this with all children. Um, It's important to instill how smart they are, of course, and all that. But especially with, you know, with like young women, like little girls, we kind of need to get off continually just complimenting appearance, right? Like it looks so cute. Sometimes men don't even know how to like their little girl walks in the room and it's just as innocent, but it's just like, oh, what a pretty dress. And like they don't. And what I always uh, in working with kids my whole life is that uh, you you need to point out observations. Like when you just mentioned, like if a kid makes a connection, even if it's wrong, but the connection's smart, uh, you know, you would say, you know what? That's an amazing, Im- that that makes sense that you would make that observation. That right there is a compliment versus just saying, oh, well, that's that's not true or that's wrong. Even if it's not a negative thing, it could be something very simple. But as kids are growing and they're making these connections, and then I thought, you know, when's the last time if you're out there listening, like when's the last time you've pointed out something to your friend that you know you love about them, right? Like they crack you up all the time or they're freaking so smart. And you may have said something in the past, but like when's the last time you took to 
really appreciate those things. You know, like we, if our attention is on kids, like, cause we have, like, we're very attentive to like, okay, this growing mind, let me, you know, it's more calculated, right? It's more manufactured and it has to be because that's, you're the teacher, you're the parent, but you know, we forget that too. And that's such a great way to uplift somebody. And again, down with OPC, other people's confidence, trying to fuel that up and lift people up. Right. So, so I I like that you mentioned that because that is exactly what we need to do more of. That's exactly right about that. You're exactly right. And it's interesting. And I love you saying that because I think, and you know, it's such a reflection of the way we live as adults. We're so focused on the bottom line. We're so results driven we have our eyes focused on the scoreboard so consistently that we actually take our eyes off of the scoring. What allows you to score? Not keeping your eyes on the scoreboard. If your eyes are on the scoreboard, you can't score. You're going to get scored on. So you have to keep your eye on the scoring. What does that mean? Well, that means that you just take care of the step in front of you now. And for a parent or for anyone who cares about kids, that mostly means being focused on process, being process-oriented. And it's like a tree. If you have a tree that's not bearing good fruit, you don't just cut the tree down. You don't just throw, you don't go shooting, you know, guns at it. Instead, you water it and you nourish it and you do what you can to prune what you have to prune, but you want to do what you can, especially with kids, to encourage them and to speak at them. You know, that's what we call positive intelligence, positive communication. How can you say what you want to say that's as true, maybe even more true, but more helpful, more inspiring and more kind? Like, can you say it in a kinder way? You know, I've had coaches in the past and some of them would try to motivate me by yelling at me. And sometimes that'd get you to take great <laughs> action for like a couple, you know, for an hour maybe, but then you hate that person before long. <laughs> right. All you can remember is the bad thing you did wrong and then it's stuck in your head. So you do it wrong a thousand more times. But then that one coach who the entire time supports you and says, you know, you maybe missed 20 shots, but they said, Rob, you know what? Your form was excellent, buddy. It was excellent. And I'm going to show you just one little thing. And I promise you're going to put the ball in next time. You know, you watch all of a sudden you're motivated in a way that you wouldn't have been or inspired, I should say, in a way you wouldn't have been if they had just yelled at you. And so it's so important to do that with kids. They're such um, beautiful, intelligent, resilient, but fragile uh, little ones. And you can say something with the wrong tone or a strong, harsh tone, and you can do damage to that kid that, you know, later professionals and other folks have to help them reverse if they're lucky. And so you don't want to do that. You want to do what you can to speak love and kindness and encouragement into them knowing and trusting that there's a little genius hiding inside and it just needs courage to come out. Absolutely. And, um, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I have a whole section in my book, basketball confidence. And I talk about playing on that inner city <laughs> high school team. Love that part. And, yeah. uh, so we're definitely gonna have to play some ball. Together. Oh my gosh. Like that's why hasn't that even like this now that has to happen. And I then <laughs> I'm serious. It's funny that you say this because literally on my Amazon list and now you've confirmed it. I've been wanting to, um, buy this basketball in pump because as a kid, the only thing I ever wanted to be was a professional basketball player. Yeah. That was it. I used to play into my hands blood and, um, literally, and I am now pushing the button. I'm ordering the basketball so that you and I can go play. Yeah, well, and my <laughs> game of horse is on fire. You better watch out. Play. I don't even, it's not, it's not going to be pretty. You might not uh, want to come back on the show after we get on the court. No. Um, Actually, Let's and one it. more thing I got to mention is I, I know you got me on the Jordan thing, but this is so great. Uh, last year at Palu FX, when I went to go speak, uh, a listener and a, a reader, a thyroid patient, uh, Scott Davis, this awesome guy came up and he, you know, he wanted me to sign his book and we hung out. He's a great guy. And he gave me, he he's like, hey, I heard you talk about Jordan on a podcast. <laughs> and he handed me a, like, you know, like the baseball cards, but it was for basketball, like one of Jordan's. Oh. Yeah. And it was just like. It was, that was probably one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. <laughs> that was such a yeah. thoughtful, awesome thing. And so I'm going to, after this conversation, I think I need to pull that card out and keep it prominently somewhere, especially with this documentary out, just to remind me of the, the glory of the Chicago yeah. Bulls and of the mindset too. Y- yes, you do. And not just that, and not that um, you and I are like dark, diehard fans, I'd probably go homeless before I sold the card like that. <laughs> exactly. Like, hey, I'd rather have that. And the, but um, uh, I, I got to see this card. So let me know when you, if you send me a, sh- a picture I'm, I'm or something like that. I'm definitely going to be t- getting some the photos of that and sending it <laughs> right over. I was so excited about it. Tell us, so you, you know, you do so the much best. stuff. We can, uh, Rob Mac official on Instagram, coach Rob Mac.com, right? For Perfect. your website. Perfect. And Boy, then also remember. you're the host of Ever Talk Live with Jeslyn Moyer. And I know obviously it's social distancing for a while and you'll be back up or if not, by the time this comes out. Um, tell us where we can find you and how we can benefit from you and your work. Yeah, that's that's the best place. You just nailed it, as always, Elle. You always have the right, right answers, quite frankly. Um, also, you can find the book, 
happiness from the inside out at amazon.com at barnesandnoble.com um and uh, everywhere else book, uh, great books are sold and uh, i think that's pretty much it yeah Awesome. Anything to leave with our audience today? Just, I love you so much. Oh, like, I too. genuinely love you. I mean, you have such an incredible heart. You are such a hustler and you're just a freaking awesome person. And I just appreciate you for just being who you are, not just what you do, but who you are. So thank you for that. Oh, I love you too. And uh, likewise, thanks so much again for coming on. I love sharing your knowledge with our audience. And uh, yeah, could have could have gone on for, uh, for another hour there. It's so fun. Well, we'll have you back on again. Thanks so much for joining us and everyone else. We'll see you next week. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners, no dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered with our no dairy vodka sauce made from avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options, from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the Primal Path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.